Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. There are three different types of radiation, alpha, beta, and gamma. What does this technology do? It's like, well, what can you do with electricity? I just survived 30 years HIV positive. I'm certainly not going to let a little thing like a brain tumor derail me. When I got to 29 pounds, I was so tired, I just collapsed. Everything always goes back to being grounded and centered. Well, first off, I thought I'd probably never make it to age 60, so so much of that. <laughs> it's a mecca for cycling, for sure. Struggle is the neutralizing force. If it's one lone oak tree right in the middle of the trail, it's beautiful. Hey everyone, I hope you've had a great week since the last time that we got together. It is so nice out there, even though it's been super windy, but we're moving into summer and it's been making me want to dust off my bike and get out there, even though my knee is still not healed. But I've actually been thinking about getting an electric bike. I don't know if I can ride it with a messed up knee. I thought that might be kind of helpful. But also there are so many hills where I live. And that would be really awesome to be able to get around and navigate them. They're so steep around here. So I also thought because my mind is going there that probably a lot of people are kind of thinking about summertime activities And I thought it was perfect timing to talk to my friend, Jan Luke, who is a cycling pro. And she has so much information about that. So I'm going to get right into this in the company of friends talk with Jan Luke. I hope that you find the information really helpful. This is a great episode. We talk about so much more than just cycling. We talk about overcoming life's hurdles and finding those spaces that nurture our soul. So settle in for a great conversation. I am so excited to have Jan Luke on this episode of In the Company of Friends. She's had a lifelong passion for cycling and is originally from Southern California. She spent 16 years as the Western Regional Coordinator for USA Cycling and is also the past president on the board of SCNCA, which is the Southern California Nevada Cycling Association, where she worked ceaselessly with focus and enthusiasm to further the sport. Unfortunately, in 2020 and 21, she suffered a profound and personal blow and had to spend some time reconnecting with herself and reigniting her purpose and life direction, which she found in October 2021 by moving to Arkansas to surround herself with nature and sports. It's no surprise that she was immediately hired on with All Sports Production in Fayetteville, where she was coordinating cycling, running, duathlons, triathlons, and adventure runs. She has moved in now to expos and VIPs, and she also spent a short time as the property manager and events coordinator at Natural State Rock and Republic in the scenic Ozarks of Arkansas. I am... Both honored and excited to have Jan join me for an In the Company of Friends talk to discuss the exciting world of cycling, personal triumphs, her life philosophy, and the bright future ahead of her. She's a true inspiration, so please grab a cuppa and join us for an amazing conversation. (laughs) Jan, 
I am so thrilled to have you here. Good morning. Good morning from Arkansas. <laughs> yes, you're two hours ahead of me, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes, right in the middle of your morning. Um, I thought I'd start with a couple of questions. Um because you grew up in Southern California and you spent a lot of time here. It's very sunny. We have beaches everywhere in the South Bay area where we've, we lived and grew up at. I'm assuming that's what got you excited about cycling and other sports. It's a very sports oriented area, but what was your childhood like and what were some of the key events that contributed to your love of cycling or did that come later? Actually, my love of cycling came much later. I uh, I was hired as the assistant manager, food and beverage manager, and our chef was very much into cycling. And we worked really long weeks at that time. As some of you might know, opening a restaurant or opening a hotel, oh, the hours are relentless. Uh, we were putting in 90 hours a week from day one. And that's what he did to kind of, you know, get rid of the stress. And he invited me on a ride one day and I had a bike and we went for a ride and I got hooked and he was very much into bike racing. And I started riding with him every single day after we would get a break at work and he and I would go out for a ride. And I lived in Palos Verdes at the time and I started riding from Palos Verdes down to the Strand, which was where the Sheraton was. And then we'd ride out to Malibu and back. And then I would ride home late at night sometimes. And uh, yeah, I just got, I got completely hooked on riding. Yeah, that's quite a ride. I haven't done the hills in Palos Verdes. Uh, those are really steep, but I do like to take Palos Verdes Drive North into Redondo Beach and come back. That's probably the easiest hills along that Palos Verdes loop. In fact, I prefer it because if you go on to the Strand or any of the other beach paths, there's a lot of pedestrian traffic. There's dogs, there's kids that are running across. You have to really watch out for a lot. Sometimes there's radio controlled cars that are crossing the bike path. So that's really such a great ride. And Malibu back to Palos Verdes, how many miles is that? I think like it was uh, 24 from Palos Verdes there and then back. So 50 miles. Nice. Yeah. And it's always great when you get introduced to a sport by somebody who is an enthusiast of the sport themselves. Oh, absolutely. And it was funny because our sous chef also started riding with us. So then we had a group, <laughs> which was really fun. I rode every day. I rode seven days a week and wasn't sleeping too much. I mean, we, all of us were sleeping four or five hours a night because we were just working so much. And getting out on the road was, wow, a way to relieve stress. And that was definitely a stressful time. Yeah, I would imagine that would be kind of like your reprieve from it. <laughs> it's kind of meditative too, because you're, you're there in your own space that entire time. Definitely. Absolutely. So I ended up having knee problems. And this was before bike fit was a thing, a real thing. 
I kept riding and I kept working and I worked in high heels every day and uh, my knee started giving me some trouble and I went to see an orthopedic doctor and he told me, quite frankly, I needed to stop riding. And I, I was addicted and I couldn't stop riding and I ended up having knee surgery and I ended up going to a shop where I met someone who was bike racing at the time and I met the owner of the shop and I started becoming a regular at the shop even though I was still on crutches. Eventually, I ended up going to work there and I surrounded myself with bike racers. I worked at a place called King's Bicycle Store in San Pedro. We were a pro shop and that's kind of how I was introduced to bike racing. Wow. Yeah, King's was really big in the bicycle world. It was, definitely. It was one of the top pro shops in Southern California. Yeah, what a shame that it's gone. Um Was there any advice how to get fitted for a bike, how to keep riding? Yes, of course. Once you're introduced to a professional shop, then there was bike fit. Bike fit has come a long way since then. And it was done a little bit differently back in the day, (laughs) as it were. And I ended up getting involved with bike racing. I became an official And eventually, I was offered a position as the district representative for Southern California. And eventually, that position began to grow. Just going back to bike fit, because I think some of the listeners might be interested in this, and it surely could prevent some injuries for any rider who is finding that riding a bicycle is not as comfortable as it could be. Can you explain bike fit to the listeners? Oh, sure. Um, So if you go into a bike shop and you just purchase a bike off of the showroom floor, you need to get it fit. And there are shops that do fitting. And I would definitely recommend going to an experienced bike fitter. You can usually find those in any city. I think we have two here um, in Bentonville, and that will definitely continue to to grow over time. It costs about $250 to $300 to get bike fit. And somebody who does bike fitting for a living knows all about your physiology and the bike that you have purchased. A custom fit would include a full assessment of you and your bicycle and your biomechanics, an evaluation of your contact points, cleat adjustments, power analysis, aerodynamic optimization, the ability to apply your personal measurements to any bike brand in the industry. So if you had purchased a bike prior to getting a a bike fit, then you would take your bike. Uh, There is products out there that will help determine all these things along with somebody who is a specialist in bike fitting. And you might need to replace some of your equipment if you purchased a bike without actually getting fit. So you might need a longer stem, a shorter stem, height adjustments on your seat. There's a lot that goes into it, but I highly recommend anyone get a bike fit, whether you have a new or a used bicycle. It can keep you from having back pain and just 
be able to optimize your your writing. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I'm actually going to do that as soon as my knee is better. <laughs> and get a bike fit, <laughs> and I can see why that would be worth the cost of it because you know somebody might say, "Oh, that's just too much of an expense," but to be able to have a bicycle that works for you and works for your body mechanics optimally is really worth that expense and preventing injuries. Well, so many people injure their knees because of improper seat adjustment. So yeah, I think it's it's really, really important. And Ernie Lechuga, who I worked with at Natural State Rock and Republic, does bike fit, and he is very, very good at what he does. Yeah, that looks like a really cool haven for serious cyclists and, you know, even novice ones. And it's great that they have, um, I think he calls it a guru fitting. Yes, absolutely. And a fitting there costs uh, between three and $400. And that's in, um, in Fayette? In Springdale. Awesome. And I think that, you know, some of the things that you just mentioned, which is that the components of a bicycle can be swapped out for different components. My, my dad um, I don't know if I had mentioned this to you, but he is an avid cyclist and he was the oldest cyclist of a bicycling club that would do that PV loop, which if somebody listening is not familiar with Palos Verdes, that would be Palos Verdes Drive North to Palos Verdes Drive West to Palos Verdes Drive South to Palos Verdes Drive East or reverse. There's a lot of hills. It's a beautiful ride. It's a really difficult ride. And it's gorgeous. gorgeous. It's a gorgeous ride. Yeah. 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 So he would do that several times a week. And then uh, when he turned 73, he started riding his bike from Lomita to Arizona to go see his sisters. And that was a solo ride through the desert. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I know. I know. I am just so inspired by him. And I hope when I'm 73, I'm doing things like that too. But he has several different bicycles and I have seen him upgrade them, make them as light as he possibly can, change out the tires, change out all the different components that are on that bicycle and just make it as fit to his body as he possibly could and as lightweight as possible. What was the what was the name of the club that your dad belonged to? Do you know? That's a good question. I'm gonna have to ask him. Yeah, you might know them. He's he's much older now. He's in his eighties. He recently had surgery for macular degeneration and hasn't really gotten back on his bike again, but he walks all the time. I mean, he's just very active and really inspiring person, huge adventurer. It keeps you young, you know? Wow. Yeah. I belong to the South Bay Wheelman. I became the district representative for Southern, it wasn't actually Southern California, was split into two different areas as well. So we had the South portion, um, San Diego, and up to Orange County, I believe. And then there was Los Angeles County, uh, the Valley area, and then Central California, which was the Santa Barbara area that was on its own. So there were 
four different regions in Southern California. So I had Los Angeles area and then became the district representative for Santa Barbara. And at some point in the 90s, that all changed and I became the regional coordinator, which was all of California. You're kind of the liaison between USA Cycling and the promoters, organizers, and the racers. And so I was in charge of doing upgrades for riders. So riders are given categories, and then you go from one category to another. So there would be, back in the day, there was category four, which would be a beginning category. And then Category one was the highest category other than pro. And so I was in charge of giving riders upgrades. I would be the liaison between the race director, organizer to USA Cycling. I was in charge of developing the racing calendar, testing of officials, uh, annual meetings, that kind of thing. Wow, that's a big job. It was a big job. And eventually that big job turned into an even bigger job when I took on all of uh, the Western region, which was Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Hawaii, all of California, Idaho, and Nevada. That's a lot of states. So (laughs) (laughs) yes, it is. Not a territory to cover. Clearly cycling is very popular. Do you have any idea like how many big racing events there are? Oh my gosh. Today, there aren't nearly the number that there were back in the the 80s and 90s. The 80s and 90s, uh, you know, I call it the golden age of bike racing. Since COVID, especially, and since the Lance Armstrong era, Mm -hmm. uh, racing has has gone the other direction. But we're seeing the comeback now with new events taking place. There are some issues, though, about road racing because it's very difficult these days to get permits in order to have a road event. Uh, Criterium racing has become the standard, really, just because closing down roads to have a bike race is very difficult. Yeah, I imagine with insurance and the distance that you have to have to have an actual solid race. I mean, you can't just close down a couple of blocks. You have to close down miles. And residents don't want to be inconvenienced. And so it has become a real issue for organizers to find a place to have a road race. I would imagine because you're also competing with marathons, which will also close down roads. I did a half marathon in Long Beach. Part of the 710 was closed down because we ran on parts of that. Yeah. So now you're competing with other events that need to shut down huge parts of the city. Yeah. In big populated areas, that's really the issue. And here I've moved to this beautiful haven for cycling, where there's lots of road openings to have events. So I think road racing will start to bloom again, but it will not be in the metropolis areas where you can't close down a road. It'll be in the areas where the population is less. Well, and those will be 
much more beautiful races as well. The courses will be so pretty. Here in Los Angeles, we have something that's called Ciclavia, and they shut down a lot of Los Angeles. They go from one end of downtown Los Angeles to the other end, and it's a pretty extraordinary event, but it is not a race. It is for cyclists, and you get to ride through the heart of downtown Los Angeles, check out a lot of the architecture, check out a lot of the city that you normally would not be able to because it's so congested with traffic, um, just impassable traffic, really. And they do it on a Sunday a couple of times a year, and it's just turned into a really big event. They welcome anybody if you want to run the course, if you want to walk it, if you want to bring a stroller, dog walk it, anything like that. They also welcome that. But that's kind of unique and really unusual in a big city area. Absolutely. And, you know, bike advocacy is, uh, if you are interested in getting into helping cities to create bike lanes and that kind of thing, things that are safe for cyclists, you know, bike advocacy is really important. Yeah. Also, there's, you know, there's the two sides of that, because especially here in Palos Verdes, the roads are are one lane in each direction and they're quite narrow and there are bike lanes on the side but I've been on both sides of that you know I've been riding my bike down the road and have the person that's texting and just kind of drifts over into the bicycle lane and you don't have a horn you don't have any way to notify this person that they're going to hit you Um, you're very vulnerable as a bike rider And I also get the frustration of people who have to get to school, have to get to a meeting, have to, you know, the the drivers that have to get to where they're going. And now you've got 10 bike riders that are spilling out into the roadway and not letting you by. So um, I think that's probably been a huge issue that perhaps you've been part of. Oh, gosh, you know, the thing is, is that cycling on the road has become perilous for bike riders. And so many people I know no longer ride on the road because it's dangerous. Um, You know, when I was still the regional coordinator, I would get reports of people I knew who had been hit and people that I know who have been killed over the years uh, you know, mixing a car and a bicycle rider, who do you think's going to lose in that situation? It's usually the cyclist. And uh, yeah, it's become a big problem in, you know, urban areas is the safety of bicyclists. And with the advent of texting and driving, man, it's it's a scary proposition out there. It really is. And sometimes uh, there's an assumption that because you're on a bicycle, you can stop quickly or because you're in a car, you can make it in front of the cyclist. And just going back to my dad, there was a lady that clearly saw him coming. She wanted to turn into a driveway and, and he was pretty close to it. And she decided that, you know, she could just 
Make it in front. Yep, just make it in front of him. And he tried to stop, but the bumper caught his forearm and damaged a bunch of tendons. And she actually stopped and, of course, regretted immediately that assumption that she could do that because there's, you know, it's like those math tests that we used to have at school. One train is traveling at a particular speed and the other one's at this speed. At what point will they meet things? So there's a lot that goes into that equation that we get very complacent with driving. And um, that was an interesting situation too, because my dad ended did end up going to the hospital. The lady stayed, admitted fault. But she could have totally prevented all of that stress, all of that stress to her and the damage to my dad's forearm. He had a fantastic surgeon. Right. And then when it came time to get his bicycle back from the police department, they didn't want to give it back because it was a ridiculously amazing racing bike and it was recognized for that. And I had to go and advocate to get it back. But in the end, he was fine. He's got full use of his hand and his arm. And, you know, he's just the type of guy that's never going to complain about pain or anything like that. And he holds no ill will towards this lady. But, um, you know, we drive these 3000 pound machines around and they can be deadly to to somebody who does not have that much armor around them or any armor really around them. And I think there's a lot of misjudgment uh, when it comes to drivers trying to beat the cyclists down the street, you know, and that has been a, a common problem. And your dad was very lucky that the lady even stopped because that's another big issue. Um, so we've had a lot of people who have been hit and it's been a hit and run. And it's really a sad situation out there. And it, it is one of the things I love about Uh, Northwest Arkansas is that there are so many miles of paved road that are nowhere near drivers. And we have a ton of mountain bike trails also, and they're beautiful, well manicured roads. And this is definitely a haven for cycling. I think that is probably the answer. Cities like Long Beach and San Pedro are starting to put in a lane that is primarily for cyclists. They have the right of way in that lane, although cars can also drive in them. And it makes it probably a little bit safer, but it's not enough of an answer. And I think that also the cities are so built up around here that it would be hard to find the space to have this continuous miles of bike dedicated lanes. Um, So I know we got a little bit sidetracked with that. Um, Did you ever race? No, as a matter of fact, this is my, my biggest regret was that right before my injury. And that was the reason why I kept riding when my doctor told me to stop because I was riding with a group of masters riders in Redondo Beach. 
And they were so awesome. They took me under their wing and I was getting ready to do my first race. And my knee just gave up and I never got the opportunity to do that. And I was so fearful after because that pain was incredible. I had bone damage because I had waited so long. It was very, very painful. And my doctor said after surgery that it was very likely I would have to have another surgery within five to seven years. And I thought, oh my God, I am not going through this again because I was non-weight bearing on crutches for three months. And, you know, when you, you go from 90 hours of work a week and then 50 miles a day of riding to like a complete dead stop of all your activities, it's, it's, a, it's a big warning. <laughs> yeah, I did not want to get myself in that situation again. Um, I ended up riding with the South Bay Whalemen. I think it was about a year later, but I never really got back into riding the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. And that is, that's a lot going from being so active to that standstill. It changes your whole entire life. It's awful. Um, 16 years that you were working in cycling or 16 plus years, really. 25, actually. Oh my gosh, 25. Yeah, 25. (laughs) But I was the regional coordinator for the West Coast from 1999 to, uh, what was it, 2014. And then I had I had already put in like 10 years as the district representative for Southern California prior to that. So what prompted your move from Southern California all your life and doing so much in cycling here to Arkansas? Oh my goodness. Well, uh, number one, Bentonville, the city in which I live in, is the haven right now. It's one of the top I think five fastest growing cities in the country. And um, the two younger sons of Sam Walton are avid cyclists. And they have made sure that Bentonville was going to be known for its cycling prowess, if you would. So everything in Bentonville for outdoor sports is incredible. And cycling here is just growing like crazy. And we've had a UCI race, the World Cup and the World Championships for cyclocross here this past year. Um, So this was just the growing place. I lost my job with USA Cycling in 2014 due to a reorganization of the company. And I really missed working and cycling. And I figured this was going to be the place for me to live my passion. Wow, that is great. Bentonville is the birthplace of Walmart. So having them promote something like cycling and uh, really building that up there is huge. Oh, it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. I mean, there, there's a park going in across the street from where I live and it has plans to be another park for cycling. And they're all over this city. 
I mean, they're all over the city. And we have BMX tracks. We have the Criterium course going in. Like I said, there are hundreds of miles of trail for off-road. Walmart built a very large park just for the UCI World Championship that we just had in Fayetteville called Centennial Park. I think for the next 10 years, this place is going to be unrecognizable due to the growth of cycling. That's really awesome. And also just the fact that it's an environmentally friendly activity and it's a super healthy activity. Here we have, I think they call them blue cities. I'm going to have to chuck that term, but they're blue spaces throughout the world. And there's very few of them. And what they all have in common is mostly vegetarian with maybe a little bit of fish or a little bit of locally caught meat and activity. And they all tend to live into their second century of life. So creating more paths for people to start adopting these healthier lifestyle changes. And I love the fact that Bentonville is going to be so progressive in that regard. Um, It kind of sounds like it's going to be much more oriented around cycling than it is driving. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's pretty easy to get across town and you never even have to get on the road. I mean, literally, there are paved bikeways all over town and they all connect and they're beautifully maintained. And it's really amazing. It's a mecca for cycling for sure. We do have a lot of bike shops and there are mobile bike shops almost every bike shop rents out bikes. So people are traveling here to see what there is available. I went to a shop last night and I was talking to the general manager and he uh, gave me a little spiel about how he ended up here. And during COVID, he and his wife came for a visit to kind of check it out. They wanted to go to a bike-friendly state, and they came and visited during COVID and never left. And you hear those stories all over town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're probably going to get a lot more people just based on <laughs> this episode. I mean, Bentonville just sounds so amazing. And, you know, when you start thinking about the costs of maintaining roads for autos versus bicycles and the difference in accidents, an automobile accident really has a lot of costs associated with it from, you know, financial to health to life, if it's a bad enough accident, and the impact of slowing down traffic. So, you know, there's, there's all these ripple effects from something like that. And of course, that's not to say that there's not going to be accidents on bicycle paths that can be pretty catastrophic. But you've got that savings, you've got the environmental impact, no pollution, 
at the cost of gasoline now, you know, it's like through the roof and the health impacts. I mean, you're exercising to get to work rather than going from being sedentary behind a wheel to sedentary at a desk. It's just a win in every direction to have something like that. Oh, yes. And the businesses here advocate for their employees to ride to work. I mean, you know, for me to come here and be a part of this community is, it's really amazing here. And we have a lot of art here. You know, I got up early this morning. I went to Farmer's Market in downtown Bentonville, where there is a lot of art on display and lots of bakeries, beautiful loaves of bread and muffins and cinnamon rolls. I love it. (laughs) That's so lovely. That just sounds so idyllic and like a dream. That's awesome that you were able to find that. (laughs) So the only drawback that I see would be health-related drawbacks that would keep you from being able to ride a bike. So, you know, like right now, I'm kind of hobbling around. We've been talking about you hobbling around on crutches. And I'm doing the same thing because I have a torn meniscus. Something like that would keep you from being able to ride your bicycle or, you know, COPD and other chronic illnesses. But otherwise, I think that it just sounds like an idyllic situation and just a wonderful, wonderful place. I will definitely be visiting Bentonville. Oh, and you're welcome to come and visit me. Thank you. I will. I have an extra room. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I, I want to go to the farmer's market with you. I want to ride around town with you. I think it would be so much fun. Oh, it would be awesome. Yeah. Love to have you for a visit. Prior to you going to Arkansas, You were struggling through a personal blow, having to regroup and find yourself again and sort of create this new life in a beautiful place that really nurtured your soul and your spirit and allowed you to grow, not just as a person, but as somebody who can be a really huge asset to a community and also a huge resource and support to other friends who are going through what you went through. I got remarried in 2015. I packed up my two daughters from San Diego, where we were living at the time. And I moved to Newberry Park in Ventura County. And in 2019, my marriage fell apart. And to say I was devastated is really an understatement. And I fell into a deep depression. And, you know, my world really just fell apart, everything in it. And I checked myself into an outpatient mental health program um, because I was so depressed. It just uh, was a really bad period in my life. And while I was attending this program, I learned so many tools and met so many wonderful people. And I turned my life around in a profound way. And when this opportunity came for me to move to Bentonville, it couldn't have come at a better time. I was really starting to become comfortable in my own skin. You know, when I reflect back 
on that time, I grew so much. Um, it was like an accelerated growth program for me. I moved in with my sister after the program for a year just to kind of get my bearings. I got a job. I got a job the day COVID started. And it was just really a time to reflect and to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and where I wanted to be in my life. And, uh, you know, I am very much a spiritual person. And to say that the opportunity came of spirit for me would be true. I mean, the opportunity to come here and to be able to work in cycling again was kind of a miracle for me. And it was something that I had kind of been writing about um, for this kind of opportunity to open up for me. And it did. And I am profoundly grateful for that. I am in a better place I think than I've ever been, really. Just comfortable with myself, comfortable with my situation, comfortable with my work. I mean, I hope that I could be an inspiration to people who have been to the end of a situation feeling like, you know, where do I go from here? You know, uh, I really didn't see a future for me for a while. And that was really frightening. And, um, you know, I mean, you learn to thrive. To give up was not an option. And I'm thriving now. And I'm extremely grateful today. The only downside of that is that my two daughters still live in California, you know, really just doesn't want to leave friends. And I, I get it. But that's definitely the downside of being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really tough when your kids are that young and they do have a life of their own. Um, it's hard to leave those communities that we build outside of our own families. I know just having a son who went into the military, he's been gone for about four years, going on five years, really. He just was here visiting and it was wonderful having him back. But I think that it's hard enough as parents that we know at some point we're going to have to let go of these precious human beings that we've guided and raised since the moment that they took their first breath and just kind of let them go out into the world and make it on their own. Um, But just, you know, also thinking back to when I was just that late teen period, early 20s, where the idea of living with my parents forever was anathema. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, you have to take a look at it from the different perspectives. And um, I think that you've gone through so much with so much strength and grace and really a focus on solving the problem of being depressed. 
I went through a terrible situation myself. And so I understand and can empathize with a lot of what you said coming out. And I I think a lot of people can because I believe it is currently 50% or greater. I, I actually think it's a greater number of marriages will unfortunately end up in divorce. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, people grow, they evolve. Um, Sometimes we go into these relationships without knowing who we are, without really understanding all of the responsibilities and that extreme closeness that is required of marriage. And the fact that there's a lot of compromise, a lot of give and take that goes there. And sometimes that arises in arguments. Um, Marriage is a lot of hard work. And it doesn't always end up the way that we wish that it would. And I think that what you find when you come out of a relationship that you had so much hope for, and really had worked so hard towards is that kind of dissonance, that incongruity of moving from a we state of being to a me state of being, trying to separate the we from the me. And when you're in a marriage long enough and you're that invested, you t- you do tend to sacrifice some of yourself and you become accustomed to doing that. And you suddenly find that it's hard to separate that. And so there is a process. And with that does come those profound depths of depression. So I really applaud you for going through an outpatient program to deal with that because there is so much strength and courage and bravery in seeking help. I definitely made sure that we all went through therapy and I just remembered coming to the conclusion that it was going to be an event in our lives, not the event that would dictate the rest of our lives. And every situation looks different. There's so many paths you can take and there's pros and cons to each one of them. And I don't think that any of them are necessarily wrong or right. It's um, what works the best for a situation. And I do recall how difficult it was for you and you know the struggles that you went through to see you go through that, it's kind of like the phoenix. It goes through this darkness and this death and comes back as this beautiful bird. And you definitely have done that going from, you know, being this vibrant, strong, giving person and having this terrible blow and struggling to find yourself in that and going back to nurturing your spirit, your goals and finding your meaning and your purpose in life. And it looks like you've basically gone full circle. You know that your meaning and a lot of your purpose comes from the cycling community and being involved with it. And you're back there again. And not just that, you're in a thriving, beautiful, progressive place. And I just um, I just think that's so inspiring. You know, it's, it's so true. I will say that um, moving here alone to a place where I knew very few people and having um, the solitude to just 
be with myself has been very healing for me. And I do a lot of writing, you know, journaling. I do yoga and meditate every day, sometimes twice a day. And, you know, I really have found myself. I think also, you know, once you know who you are and you have more insight, I think we're always learning who we are. It's kind of like a work in progress. Definitely, (laughs) yes. But you start making room for the people who are going to nurture who you are. Absolutely. So you do start to elevate the quality of your life because you're bringing in people who are of quality and who are going to support who you are while you're supporting who they are. So it just ends up being a really good thing. Um, Since we're talking about this, what are some of the practices and routines that you feel contribute to and nurture your spirit as well as your drive? Oh my goodness. Well, uh, routines. I mean, I start with journaling. I usually do 15 minutes of journaling in the morning right after I wake up. Then I do yoga and then I do meditation following that. And, um, you know, people always ask about meditation and it's not hard. And you can start with three minutes and, you know, your meditation practice will grow over time. And it's something I really look forward to every day. If I somehow get off of my routine and I, I'm not able to do my meditation, I'm like pining for it the rest of the day until I have the opportunity to get really quiet. And yeah, it's just something that I really look forward to. Um, I don't think I'll ever be the four-hour meditator. That's not something I feel I need. But I do spend a lot of time alone, and I, I love to go out in nature and just walk around. And every day is like a new experience because, you know, living in California, where you see beauty is generally in somebody's front yard, the plants that somebody has planted. And here, it's everywhere. And the people that I have met here, they're my people. And, uh, you know, if there's something that, um, that I just don't feel comfortable with, I don't do it anymore. If I feel uncomfortable around people, I don't stay. You know, I'm really being true to myself and honoring my feelings about things. If something just doesn't feel good, I just, I turn away from it. Yeah. The power of no. It has so much power to be able to direct your life in the way that works best for you. Just being able to say no to situations, I think, is huge. And just that self-advocacy that kind of goes hand in hand with being able to say no. That's so awesome. And being able to surround yourself with beauty I think is important, um, whether it's inside the house or, you know, just being where you live. I do miss the ocean. You know, I find power in the ocean. And I thought that I would miss the sunsets because, you know, watching the sun go down over the ocean is an incredible experience. But the colors of the sky here are nothing like you see in California. You know, you get the purple hues and pinks and peaches in the sun, and it is glorious. 
couch and I'd go sit outside. It was freezing this morning though. It was 29 degrees when I walked outside. So it was really cold. And I went outside with my dog and I sat outside with my jacket on and watched the sun come up and it was glorious. You mentioned the ocean and there's so many studies about the calming properties that negative ions release when waves crash onto the shore because they're crashing with such force that they are just releasing these negative ions into the air. And and this is why there is that calming effect. And I mean, you know, just looking out onto an expanse of blue that goes forever also has that effect. But There's so many beautiful places in the world. I can just imagine these sunrises that you're talking about. And then you mentioned your dog. And I think pets are lifesavers. They get you through so many situations in life that are really difficult. And so having pets is probably one of the key things. The kids and I went into that terrible situation without a pet. And we now have two cats. And those cats were just therapy. Um, They were both riding horses at the time. I did have them riding every Saturday morning. And that was also very therapeutic, just taking care of the horses and connecting with an animal makes such a difference. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, it's funny, when I lived with my sister, um, Oreo became her dog, I think, more than he was my dog. And I was really (laughs) nervous when I brought him to Bentonville that he wasn't going to be my dog any longer. But, you know, we're inseparable. And it was funny, I have left him alone twice since I've been here in five months. He goes with me everywhere. Yeah, we just have a great time together. And he has definitely been there for me. And We have had some crazy weather here, and when the thunder and lightning starts, I love that. I mean, that's almost my ocean. You know, I love crazy weather, but Oreo... Oreo doesn't like the crazy weather. He will jump on my bed and he will shiver for hours even after the storm is past. And it's so it's so funny. Oh, but we baby. you know we walk together every day and uh, yeah, he's with me all the time. And it was so cute. Ivy just came to visit and she was here for a week and for 2 days after she left, he would he sat in front of her room and just waited for her to come back. And I told her, I sent, I sent her a couple of pictures and I said, your doggy is waiting for you because Oreo was meant to be her dog. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. And your sister is the animal whisperer. I mean, she's just so amazing with what she does for animals and all of her friends. And yeah, you guys, you guys are such a loving family. I, I love having you both in my life. You know, she just got two new dogs. I didn't. Yeah, she got two new labs. Oh little my puppies. gosh. No, I didn't know about the puppies. Oh, how cute. Yes, Coco and Chanel. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, this lady, she's got two Shisus and they're named Dolce and Gabbana. <laughs> <laughs> Super cute. And here I am going, what's the weirdest 
you know, natural phenomenon. So I named Echo Echo mostly because she was just such a talker when we got her. Oh my God. Sithy was so quiet (laughs) that you only heard her when she was wrestling through stuff. In fact, we thought she was mute. And Scytherism is the sound of the wind going through the leaves that that kind of ocean wave sound, right? That's called Scytherism. Yeah. So we named her Scytheria. Oh, that's a beautiful name. Isn't it? But we call her Scythy for short. She's got a lot of different names. Like like animals do, right? They get a bazillion nicknames. Yes. Right. Oreo does for sure. Yeah. Um, do you have a philosophy on life? Oh gosh. Many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have many. And they've changed over time. Um I love the saying, this too shall pass, because Mm -hmm. nothing is ever stagnant. You know, things are always changing. So this too shall pass works for anything negative going on in your life and anything positive in your life. This too shall pass. I mean, life is fleeting, and so is everything that happens to you. And, you know, one thing I have really learned is to um, embrace it, I think. I learned to embrace whatever it is, whether it be good, whether it be bad, because it will pass. And I believe that. I mean, I, I embrace everything that's happening to me and nothing lasts forever. And you need to learn how to let things go, you know, and to live in the moment and not have to um, uh, sit with anything for too long. You know, you can take whatever is happening and feel what's happening and cry about it, but it doesn't have to last forever. Mm-hmm. And you can let it go. And that's really. I think that's my philosophy today. That's a really powerful phrase. Nothing lasts forever. This too shall pass. The Stoics have something similar, which is amor fati. Uh, basically, love your fate. Love the good things. Love the bad things. Nothing lasts. Right. And you know, when I went into uh, this program, I cried every day for three solid months. And I thought it was never going to end. It does. And it'll pass eventually. It's okay to feel things. It's okay to, you know, be sad, but you feel it and then you let it go. And, um, you know, that's really what's gotten me through. Yeah, there's that idea of you can't control the things that happen to you, but you can control the way that you respond to them. Yes. Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes those things are, are pretty tough. And you've got this philosophy that you understand that nothing is constant. These things that we think that we're never going to get out of them. 
but life is so dynamic and it is constantly changing and in this flow and flux and you've got new people coming into your life, new opportunities, just so many different things that can at any moment flip that terrible situation into a better one. And if you're working also to figure out who you are, what you want in life, what's really important, what to focus on, what brings you the greatest joy, that flip will surely come. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. Life is dynamic. That is for sure. Yeah. Don't you wish you had these tools when you were younger? Yes. Yeah. I think that the that the irony the paradox, the the most frustrating part about it is that they only come through experience. And I think that just goes back to the power of this too shall pass and Amor Fati that you, you have to experience these failures or, you know, they're really not failures. Everybody no. experiences these difficulties in life. And you've just got to pull the lessons out of it. And having that experience behind you allows you to have a philosophy that that improves the quality of your life. Yeah. And I I always tell people, you know, when they ask, I'm grateful for everything that's ever happened to me. Um, I think that I always get a lesson out of everything that has happened to me. And, you know, it makes me a better person. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of like chapters close in our lives and sometimes more abruptly than we would want them to, but there was a lesson there. And when that chapter closes, it allows another chapter to open. And sometimes there's several chapters that can open and, and then there's always chapters that have not closed. So when you've experienced a loss in one place, it's always good to take a look at where things are still going well and what the new opportunity is that's going to replace this particular loss. And if you look at life that way, there always is another opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And that again, just goes back to it takes experience to be able to understand that. (laughs) So um, if you had one piece of advice for people, what would that be? Oh, goodness. Um, Embrace each day as it comes, as it's presented to you. Just embrace it. To me, there's no other way to live. You know, today is today and tomorrow's going to be a new day and just embrace what today offers. You know, I felt amazing getting up this morning, watching the sunrise, going to the farmer's market, you know, taking the dog for a walk and then coming home to get ready to talk with you today. And it's a wonderful day. Tomorrow may not be the same day, but you know, it is what it is. And, um, and I think, I think that's the best way to live. I agree. That's beautiful. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for all of the future possibilities. The fact that 
you are feeling so nurtured and challenged in a good way, you know, being able to be creative, working in the cycling world, personal growth, um, just this new city that you're in, this new chapter that you're walking into, and having all of that experience and learning from what's happened so far in your life and just being able to apply that to this new place that you're in. And really, I keep saying new, and it's not all that new. It is in in the timeline of your life, but you've been there and proven that it is the right place for you to be at. Now you've made friends, you've got a great job in an industry that you love, and doing so many wonderful things. I mean, it just sounds like a little slice of heaven. And I think that you deserve that. And I just hope that it continues to nurture your soul and your spirit as it has been so far. I just think it's really awesome. Me too. (laughs) I feel, I feel really grateful. I really do. And I feel really calm. Like nothing rattles me. And I, and that feels amazing. Yeah. I think you're in the right place. You're just going to thrive feel really good. Do you have um, anything else that you want to add? Yeah, come to Bentonville. (laughs) 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 Everyone should come here once. It's really a fan. I mean, Northwest Arkansas is really a great place to visit, especially if you love cycling. This is really a great place to come. Yeah, it sounds like a Mecca. I mean, so amazing. And I was in Arkansas quite a while ago in a little place called Hartford. Arkansas and Oklahoma and that whole little area right there, there's a lot of beautiful land around there. I just remember that it was gorgeous. And like I said in the last episode when I was talking with my cousin Ken, about his recent trip to Arkansas that both of us agreed the people there are so hospitable and just lovely. Oh, yes, absolutely. That is so true. (laughs) People are absolutely friendly here. And it's the one thing I really love. That's true. And I think that's a big difference. You know, when you live in Los Angeles, sometimes you say hi to people on the, the street and They won't even say hi back. They won't look at you. Very hot and cold here. You know, sometimes when I go on a hike, especially with Sophie, we'll make these these little bets before about how many people are going to say hello and how many will not. Or we'll start counting the number of people that didn't say hi back. And then the other one will count the number of people that did say hi back or, you know, at least smiled or something. I think that Los Angeles is a very congested city and there's so many people here that I think sometimes people go on hikes and their thought is, I don't want to be bothered by anybody. This is my time in nature. I want to connect with nature, not other human beings. And so you get that. Whereas it's, much more wide open in a lot of Arkansas. And so people are friendly because they're not trying to get away from that density of people everywhere, no matter where you go, there's a crowd. 
Yes, and there's still like that the southern hospitality and also the way young men are raised here. I I went to the supermarket the other day and there was a young man. I he was probably high school age and I went to open the door for him and he looked at me and he goes, "I'm supposed to do that for you." <laughs> and I was I laughed cuz I'm like Oh my gosh, I love that. Thank you so much. It's so sweet. Yeah, I just, that's one thing I really do like here. Yeah, yeah. Even in crutches, you know, I do see that more people will hold the door open for me, but some people just go, just go stand here and watch you struggle. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> and I just think, all right, you just do that. You know, I mean, it just, I, I just figure, well, you know, my crutches. It's my injury. If I want to go and get what I need, I got to fight for it. And so, you know, that's, that's the rest of life really, but it is nice when people ingratiate themselves and really make you feel like you're part of the community. I think it, it makes a difference. And and you're right. I mean, anytime that I've traveled, you know, and I've gone to Texas and Arizona and Arkansas and Florida, you do tend to see a lot more community-oriented inclusiveness um, that, like I said, it's hit and miss here. I don't want to say that it's completely missing. Um, That's, you know, painting Los Angeles with too broad of a stroke. I, you know, I love this place, but it it is kind of hit and miss. And you do tend to, because of that, you do tend to notice it when you go to other places. Well, you know, that's one thing I do. I really love about this community is you feel part of the community because it's so small and it feels really good to to be in a town or a city that makes you feel part of their community. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a warm embrace. Yes. It's very nice. It's very nice. So awesome. So what are you looking forward to in the future here? What are What are some of your plans? I am looking forward to the summer. We have a huge lake called Beaver Lake here. And my friend's uh, dad has a boat. Um, So we will be going outing on a boat, going tubing and water skiing, Um, you know, just more nature. I, I love I love being out in nature. And this, like I said earlier, this is such a uh, outdoor community and summer will be here before too long. And I'm really looking forward to that. That was such a great talk with my friend, Jan. I really love talking with her about everything from cycling to the more philosophical things in life. I hope that we inspired you to nurture your soul and to also get bike fit and get into the great outdoors for some cycling soon. The weather is going to be perfect for that. I'll post links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. Please also keep sending in your questions and your suggestions. I really do love hearing from you. And please take a moment to rate this episode. It only takes seconds. Your rating will help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. My friends are amazing, and I am so excited to share upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com where I post updates, 
upcoming topics, recipes, and lots more. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the .com, all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E Podcast. I am Syl Annan, The Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, grace, adventure, peace, elegance, and beauty.